um, on December 31st, 2015, there happened to be a lady who had saved a thousand Naira every day in her piggy bank, her physical piggy bank through the entire year. Uh, for context, a thousand Naira is about two and a half dollars. And so she had saved it every day for 365 days. And then she finally broke the box and she put it on Twitter and the tweet went viral. And my co-founder, um, Joshua, kind of just brought the tweet to our group chat and said, guys, I think we can make a digital version of this. And, you know, we started debating it back and forth. And you know, two weeks after we had an MVP and then we were just like ready to go. Hi, I'm Dana Yao, your host on the Emerging Markets Tech Startups Podcast. While traveling to over 90 countries, I was inspired by the entrepreneurial spirit across startup communities in Africa, Latin America, Asia, the Middle East, and Eastern Europe. On the show, we bring you stories from entrepreneurs, startup ecosystem innovators, and investors. We discuss what makes these markets culturally and historically unique, local trends, local challenges consumers and founders face, and the opportunities. Let's get started. We're so excited to have Odun on the show, who is one of the co-founders of PiggyVest, a savings investment company based out of Nigeria. And I'll let Odun sort of intro herself and what PiggyVest does. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Odwayo. I'm co-founder and CEO of PiggyVest. And PiggyVest is a micro-savings and micro-investment um, fintech company out of Lagos, Nigeria. So what we essentially do is we allow young Nigerians to put aside little amounts of money daily, weekly, or monthly towards the savings target. So you can think of it like um, digits or capital or one of the other fintech uh, companies here um, in the U.S., but uh, more suited to the Nigerian market. Um, it's so scaled down that users are allowed to save uh, 100 Naira every day, just as low as 100 Naira. How much is- 100 Naira is about, I think, 20 cents. So we can do 20 cents in a day. You can do a um, dollar a week. Um, and you can, you can do just about any amount that you're comfortable with, put it aside. And then we also pay interests on those savings. And the interest that we pay are comparatively higher than what, say, a traditional bank would pay you. Um, on the micro-investment side, we also offer inclusive, accessible, and affordable investments to young people, where people can invest with as low as $10 and get um, averagely the same rate that people who are investing $2 million or, you know, uh, I suppose $2,000 are getting. So the idea is to kind of herd young Nigerians, especially millennials and Gen Z, towards financial freedom in ways that the traditional sector is not really giving us right now. Yeah, and that's a perfect, perfect segue. Why is this so innovative? Because people in the U.S. are hearing, they're like, oh, well, I had a bank account at Chase Bank. So why particularly in Nigeria was this so welcomed? What was the problem before and the status quo before? So we, we started in 2016 and a very interesting background to note about Nigeria in 2016 was we had 22 traditional banks and the average young Nigerian had about two, three average, like on average traditional bank accounts, right? Um, we all had ATM cards, we all have internet banking, but somehow people were still trying to use actual wooden boxes to save. Right, so we thought that was very interesting, right? That you Why? Know, despite having that, and, and the reasons have like very many, but I'll just narrow on some. First, if you use a Nigerian bank account, it comes with charges. 
account maintenance charges, card maintenance charges, stamp duty charges, um, SMS charges. So if they send you an alert, they charge you. If you use your ATM card, they charge you. If you leave the money just in your account, they charge you for maintaining that account. And so that means that if you put a thousand naira on January 1st, if you come back on January 31st, you will not need a thousand naira. For people who don't earn enough compared to their expenses, that means that they are losing money and not at all saving. So that represented a gap. The second thing is that because of um, the profit model of a lot of the banks, they're positioned to encourage you to spend rather than saving. So if you open a bank account, you have your ATM card, you have your internet banking, things that are designated to help you move money around as opposed to keeping it in one place. So we came in um, and we offered this alternative platform where we'll take a little at a time from your bank account according to your instructions, but you don't just have access to it despite it being your money. In 2016, when we started, the idea was very simple. You put money here uh, for three months and then you have access to it for free once in three months. Outside of that, we will charge you an early withdrawal fee. And the idea behind it was to kind of modify behavior so people got used to allowing their money to go to grow for three months at a time before touching it. We take it for granted in the U.S. of not having to, let's say, pay for a savings account. But I know everywhere else in the world, a big reason why, like you said, they didn't put money into banks was how much fees they charged them to the point where people were stuffing money, like you said, in a wooden box under the mattress. Yeah, exactly. You guys, just by solving these fundamental problems in reducing the costs has opened up the access so significantly. And you're hearing this across the board in emerging markets. Have you heard of Nubank? Yeah, I have heard of Nubank, yes. I love what they're doing. So similar concept in the CEO when he first founded it. He was like, the banks here are so terrible in just charging these corruptive fees that we only had to be slightly better to then hit the mass market of people who have the money. It, sure, it, should be, it could be saving like 20 cents a day. But when you accumulate that over time across how many people, hundreds of millions of people, it has led them to do really well. And I see that's going to be the or is the case or going to be the case for PiggyVest. You gave us a glimpse into how PiggyVest uh, started. So how many users is it at today? And what do you think is the potential hit in terms of adoption? Um, so as of today, PiggyVest is at almost 2.2 million users. And um, we, we think that we're just scratching the surface of where it could go, just even just in Nigeria, right? Clearly there's like a, um, there's a Pan-African expansion potential there. And there's even an expansion potential into other emerging markets based on the need. But just in Nigeria, we're at 2.2 million. And we think that um, with the right strategy and with the right push behind the product, we could crack 10 million users in Nigeria very quickly. Yeah. And how big is the Nigerian population for those who don't know? Well, Nigeria has, Nigeria has about 200 million people. And obviously not all of those people will use like uh, a digital banking service, but still a sizable number of people will. Folks in this ecosystem in Silicon Valley don't realize how big these markets are, how populated they are, and not even just the current population but I know the Nigerian population's growth rate is huge. <laughs> you guys are having a lot of babies. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the huge potential. On top of that, within the population, as people, more people move into the middle class, something like this is even more important to them 
as a place to store their money. You were gonna, you were telling me before we started about the founding story of Pekivas. So can you share with the audience? So I think that one of like the greatest things about how Pekivas started was that we got the idea from someone who was a potential user. So um, on December 31st, 2015, there happened to be a lady who had saved a thousand naira every day in her piggy bank, her physical piggy bank through the entire year. Uh, for context, a thousand naira is about two and a half dollars. And so she had saved it every day for 365 days. And then she finally broke the box and she put it on Twitter and the tweet went viral. And my co-founder, um, Joshua, kind of just brought the tweet to our group chat and said, guys, I think we can make a digital version of this. And, you know, we started debating <laughs> it back and forth. Let's upgrade her. And, you know, two weeks after we had an MVP and then we were just like ready to go. That is so impressive when people are doing nothing on New Year's Eve, you and your team <laughs> are working on New Year's and throughout the beginning of the year to develop an MVP. What Were you guys particularly passionate about this problem or what was it that led your team to move so fast? Um, so we always move so um, like very fast. Um, <laughs> the <I> Nigerian <laughs> way, hustle or die. We're very passionate about the market segment. Uh, before that, we had spent three years working on different product, uh, products for this market segment, for young people, for millennials, and we were very determined to crack it. And this presented a very unique opportunity. Like Nigerians love, like they love their money, they protect their money. So this felt like a really nice entry point. So we moved as quickly as we could. That is so fascinating. That's a good segue to our next, uh, the second part. Let's talk about Nigeria as a market. So what are the millennials like? Why are people obsessed with money? Why do people know Nigeria is like the hustle nation? <laughs> I, you know, um, I, Nigerian millennials are pretty much the same millennials as everywhere else. Um, I think the difference would be... They're very yeah, stylish. I, I like I've seen that. a lot I of agree. the music. <laughs> you know, we, we watch TV much like everyone else. We use Twitter much like everyone else. And I think that the difference would be the environment that we grew up in and, you know, just kind of like the differences and I will say the lack. So Nigeria, as many people might know, is plagued by a lack of infrastructure and economic problems. And that might be why we are also known as like the hustle nation things aren't as easy, for instance, and this is why Piggyverse was very useful to people. For instance, if you wanted to like rent a place in the US, um, you, find, you find a nice place, you get your credit checked and you can pay first and last month's rent and you can move in and be well on your way. You know, if you wanted to get a car, you have a payment plan and you know, things in Nigeria, it doesn't work that way. You know, if you want to buy a car, you have to carry the entire amount. Right. So if you if you wanted to buy a car, yeah, you have exactly. to pay all of it up front. The entire thing. Right. Um, if you want to um, rent a house, you have to pay a year in advance, sometimes two years. Uh, and so those things mean that like people definitely have to save up. So if, if you contrast like all of those payments that you have to make, well, we don't have anything like student loans here. You cannot attend school without paying like your full school fees. So those things are like particularly important to the average Nigerian. So we're all constantly thinking about money, constantly thinking about saving up and constantly trying to make more. That's, that means that like um, when you compare our expenses to what we earn, then you, you start to understand why it's very important for the average Nigerian to protect their money 
and grow it, which means that platform like platforms like ours are very welcome, offering better interest rates and the banks just as much security and slightly a bit more discipline so you are actually saving up for those responsibilities. Why is it in the case people can't get credit and they have to pay a whole years of rent? Is there not trust in the ecosystem? Do the Are the banks not incentivized? We don't have a credit system. So that um, we don't have a credit system and we don't have proper addressing system. We don't have the social security system. Uh, so identification is a bit of a challenge. And so, yeah, we live in a very low trust system. And so that means that people who are selling things, they don't know who you are. Um, no one is tied down to any address when they move. You can just up and pack your things and get another house when you want without updating any, you know, any portals. And so that means that like everyone is moving around protecting their own interests very, very keenly. And another thing that stuck out when I was speaking to Cola, who is the founder of Ventures Platform, who introduced us and is an investor of Piggyvest, is that right? He had mentioned... Yeah, oh yeah, Kola is our investor. One of our, like, he's one of the best investors oh, in the ecosystem. Actually. He's like the spokesperson for the startup ecosystem there. He had <laughs> talked about a lot of millennials, what differentiates them from folks here is everyone has like five side hustles. Is that true? Or- that That is true, yes. I'll tell you a funny story. What are some of those side hustles? <laughs> it, it can be anything, right? Um, when I graduated in 2013 and we started working on our startup, I know how to write. So on this, as we're building this startup called Push CV at the time in, 20, in 2014, we're building a startup before that, that one failed. And then we started building Push CV. But on the side, I took a job as a tech journalist. And so I wrote for like, one, like all, of, all of the blogs in Nigeria at the time. I, I've had a job with all of them at one point in time or the other, right? You do consulting gigs and you, you have to kind of balance it out so your income kind of matches your needs. So some people who work full-time jobs have Instagram shops where they sell things that people want. So you have lots of entrepreneurship going on, actually. And that's what we had identified in last episode, why Nigeria is one of the best places to have startup growth. Because the mindset from the beginning, because like you mentioned of the constraints, leads to this entrepreneurship thought that's in, in the blood, in how you guys live every day, moving fast and this hustle culture. So I'm not surprised. And because you guys are solving such an important problem, have you been heavily collaborating with the banks who were like, oh my God, they're finding so much success. We want to partner with them. Uh, I don't think, you know, we, we've been collaborating, perhaps not heavily, um, and not as much as we probably should be, but that's because both sides of the divide still kind of find enough agreement points. Um, and so the entire fintech bank relationship is still being treated for the most part like an antagonistic one instead of like a collaborative one. But I, mean, I think that maybe we'll find some common ground soon. They're all sleeping. And then one day they're going to wake up. You guys took their like entire market share <laughs> and then... You know, in Nigeria, I don't think that that will happen. I think that, that the eventual like um, conclusion of this is that we actually all collaborate. It's just taking a while. So hopefully they realize that. But like you said, I know even here, you know, we have the banks really antagonistic around innovation uh, on cryptocurrency. They're the ones that denounce it because they realize if they lose, if they give into that, they're going to lose their own power. So there is probably some sense of threat, but we'll see how this plays out. 
let's talk a bit more about Piggy Vess's growth strategy. So you guys have hit 2.2 million people. How did you get there? Tell us about your first customers, if there's any funny stories there. And then we'll go into strategy. Oh, I mean, I don't know if it's funny. I think it's just like really, really interesting um, that one of our first customers was actually a person who was actually who was distributing and selling the actual physical boxes on Twitter, right? So he used to sell those boxes. <laughs> the piggy bank boxes? My co-founder would. Yeah, he used to sell piggy banks. And then we went and told him, hey, here's a platform that we built called Piggy Bank. Try it out. And so he's, he was one of our first That's users. So Did he not feel threatened that if people use the digital version, he would lose money? <laughs> uh, you know, much like everyone else, his, um, his piggy bank business was just like a side hustle. Uh, so. Other customers, were they of the similar archetype? Were they all millennials? Did you, what was the segmentation like? Well, initially, it was like mostly millennials, like all millennials, in fact. But now the customer spread has kind of like gone all out there's different kinds of people on the platform and while millennials are still a majority they're only a slight majority wow. so you say you're saying like older people on the platform too older yeah older people are using the platform like we have like university lecturers like old guys my dad <laughs> old guys my dad <laughs> yeah but i used to use it very well and you know you have people who have these conversations with them i've i've been like like i'm privileged to speak to like users grandparents who they were trying to onboard onto the platform and i think that like it's really interesting to bridge that like generational divide with this particular product so if you have like a, an older person say in their 60s who uses a smartphone um their kids are probably always trying to get them onto the platform and sometimes i'm happy to like speak to them personally <laughs> to help them cross like the bridge <laughs> to start using the platform wow you can get a personal phone call from Odun. But what is their main concern? Is it that they can't see their physical money? Because I know in emerging markets, it's very cash-based. Yeah. And, you know, like, we're digital, so it's like, we don't have bank branches. And so they're like, so, you know, who do I go and meet? I'm like, no worries. We have an office. We just don't have branches. And things, so the conversation is usually around, like, the trust factor. How, how, do, how can I be sure that I can trust you? How can I be sure that? Just because of the environment, right? It's always understandable. So, you know, it's kind of our responsibility to help them get over that barrier and reassure them that we're here, you know, here for a long time, not going anywhere with your funds and things like that. What's been the strategy there? Is it just repetition or have you guys actually done certain things to overcome this trust barrier? Well, the first thing is to like emphasize and reemphasize on your regulatory standing. Um, that typically helps. But for the most part, we have relied on peer-to-peer -peer recommendation and a robust referral system. So in the initial stages of PiggyVest, like in 2016, uh, when we started, in, at the end of that year, we saved 21 million naira, which is about $60,000. Um, but that's not the interesting part. The interesting part was that on December 31st, 2016, as soon as everybody was able to withdraw after that first saving cycle, the people who use social media went straight to social media to talk about their experience, mm. right? And it was largely positive. So that kind of generated this effect where someone's like, oh, I saved X amount on Piggy Vest and I have now withdrawn. My Christmas is about to be lit. The New Year is about to be lit. And everyone's asking, what is Piggy Vest? How do I sign up? And things like that. And so the questions that were coming were, oh, I'm interested now that this person that I know has used it. And... You know, starting a company uh, 
we're engineers, we're not like finance people. What became obvious was not one, we don't have a lot of resources, two, not enough people were willing to back um, a challenger fintech at that time. So we did not have like money for traditional marketing and pushing like lots of ads. And seeing this, we got to work immediately. People are responding to people that they know talking about this. How can we harness that, right? So what we did was the little marketing budget we had, we put behind our users and we bet on them that we believe that people are more likely to use this product when they are told about it by people that they trust. And so that led us to building a referral system where you as a user, you love the platform, you've used it, here's your unique link, um, bring on a person who becomes an active user and the entire amount for converting that person goes to you, like what is our customer acquisition cost. So we pay our um, users about $3 to bring on another active user, not just another user. And that has worked for the past five years. Wow, that is ripping a page out of how, if you know the story of PayPal, they were also paying, yep. Yeah. Paying people $5. Yeah, I, I know the story of PayPal, it was interesting to Wow, me. that is fascinating. So referral systems never get old. I, I feel like people is like, oh, that's an old tactic or that's expensive. But for you guys, are you still doing this today? Did you decrease the cost? Um, we vary the cost based on seasons, depends on what's going on. Uh, for Valentine's, we can increase it just like to show love. For back to school, you can change it. So we change it based on different campaigns, but it's largely uh, on average the same cost. Um, but what we do is kind of keep the experience fresh within the platform. So there's always like features um, being changed, features being upgraded. That way it feels like there's always a new thing to talk about. And is this your guys' key growth strategy still to this day? Or have you guys done yeah. other creative stuff? So I, I really like um, big believers in if you create like um, really good experiences for people, they will not stop talking about it. So you have people who've used the platform since 2016 still talking about the platform today, right? So there, as, as today, I, I retweeted a tweet that says, I think Piggy is one of the best things that's ever happened <laughs> Changed to me. my life. This person has been in the platform for quite a while, right? And so those kind of things, are just we continue, as long as these people who are using the platform are happy, we, be, we, we believe that the power of the network effect like trumps quite a, a bit of um, like a, 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 an extensive like marketing budget. Now, while that may be true, and that is true, um, we also know that once we're ready to kind of make a big blowout, there might be times when we lean into traditional marketing, but I don't think that would ever stop the referral system. I mean, you know, a company is good when it's basically grown through a referral system. Even if it's paid, people are willing to tell other people. Because if it's a bad product, even if someone paid me $100, I would not risk my reputation. Exactly. And so, yeah. <laughs> so that's huge. Have you guys thought about influencers? I know there's a good chunk of influencers in Nigeria. So we, we thought about influencers uh, and, you know, um, we have tried out influencers, but people actually respond more to 
organic like tweets that like represent real experiences. And if there's one thing about millennials, they can smell an ad a mile away. They can just like <laughs> sniff it out. That's true. But all of us are suckers to responding to it. But like, yeah, we love that shirt in 10 different colors. Yeah. That they know it's an ad. So we try as much as possible to give organic like um, experiences. Monthly, we would interview a random user who would talk about their experiences. And people respond more to that than say someone with a lot of influence telling them to use big events. And one of the other things that we've noticed is that if you give people like a great experience, influencer or not, they talk about the product, right? One random day we woke up and one of like, one of the musicians in Nigeria was talking about big events randomly, completely unpaid, completely unprovoked. And it was really interesting to just kind of see that. Yeah. Sorry. Should you be really famous or He's like an everyday person. Yeah, he's he's really famous, like one of like the big ones. And it was just like how he'd been using the platform. And we had no idea that they were using the platform. In 2016, an addition to the push of everyone talking about the experiences was a radio personality who was an early adopter and we didn't even know. Also going to Twitter to talk about like, I use this platform for the past one year. I just took my money out that grown and things like that. It was so that kind of showed us that like you want to use influencers, but you want to use them responsibly. And regardless of who they are, people tend to talk about like platforms and experiences that they, they have and that they use that are really great. So it sounds like you guys invest a lot into making the product just a great experience, knowing that that is going to speak for itself. That's, that's the entire day to day, yes. It's a strategy. Got it. Put that into your pockets. Startup founders. Build a good product. Always start with that. These stories you're telling me, it almost sounds like a cold following now that people are obsessed with this product. Why? What about the product? What is these key experiences that they're talking about? One of our superpowers would be um, the fact that over the past five years, an important part of the journey has been keeping the brand very human and never, ever robotic. Right. And we invest, like as, as I said, we invest a bit into like the experience. We also invest a lot into like the, the perception that the brand gives to the users, right? Um, what we saw from like a lot of financial institutions at the time was that they tended to talk like at their users, not to them, right? So PVS as a brand continues to have conversations with its users. Um, all the, the entire product roadmap is informed by user behavior and user conversation and user asks. Right. And so we ask them all the time, what would you like to see? And then, you know, we, we modify it, we build it, and then we roll it out. And so everyone on Piggyvest feels like a really large community. Right. So on Twitter, for instance, if someone's had a bad experience, what you notice is that once the person is tweeting about it, there's other Piggyvest users under that tweet trying to help the person find a solution. And I think that's, yeah, I, I, I don't think that there's bigger motivation than that to continue to create like the best experience. There's people saying, oh, I had the problem and they solved it in five minutes, please send them a DM, right? It's really important that, and, and, and the reason that they do that is because every time they have a problem, the customer success um, people are committed to chatting with them as individual people, no like um, kind responses and, we try to talk to them like, hi, Diana, 
what can I do for you today? Have you tried this? Did you try it? Okay, hold on, I'll go find a solution. Or I don't know this right now, but I can ask my manager and things like that. So we don't pretend to always have all of the answers and we tell them, oh, we'll figure this out and then we do. And so the human face of the brand, the huge, and then the fact that they can interact with the founders on Twitter just as well, is very, I think, very um, important to the experience that the user like gets on the platform. Now, the features are great um, and they're very tailored to the average um, low to middle income earners needs. And I also think that that contributes as well. There's so much to unpack there. One takeaway, but shouldn't be a surprise, always go back to servicing the user and putting them first. I mean, people talk about this all, ta- all the time, but there's so few companies that do it, especially the bigger they grow. So I'd be really interested to talk to you like two years from now to say like, you guys have scaled to, you know, 10 million. Are you still able to keep the amount of service? So is this you guys hiring a lot of customer, server, a customer service agents? What is that? How do, how do you guys scale while still do, providing that same level of support? Um, what we try to do also within the app, we, we do have a large customer service team and they're all like individually trained for this specific purpose. But the other thing that we try to do is build self-correction and self-help into the platform. So if a transaction goes wrong, you can go to a section of the app and correct it by yourself, right? And so it makes like the average, the user feel like, you know, this is built for them. This is built for their use. And I think that's very important. And so we try not to rely on humans too much except when necessary. But regardless of that, I think the customer service team remains the nerve center of the company and will probably grow quite a bit. Especially in markets where they expect physical things, right? They don't want to talk to a robot. Yeah. They are used to going into in person, even if it <laughs> takes more time. <laughs> yeah. It's not about efficiency sometimes. It's about trust. Uh, you know what? I, I don't think that I don't think there's anything more correct. That's actually it. It's really about the trust. It's less about the efficiency for the most part, right? Now, answering their question fast is really good. And it probably sets the tone for the next time they have a problem. But for that first time, it's about how can I come to trust you and how do you fix this? So that's some, some, a key thing you guys got right. And it doesn't always have to do with the product, but the company's values and cultures and how they interact with the users. I, I'm... I want to use a product, but I can't. Is it? It's not available here. So walk me through. What is the typical? We're coming. Don't worry. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> what is the typical use case like on a day-to-day basis? What are people doing on the app? Um, people are warehousing funds. Um, people are saving um, for like um, back-to-school fees. You know, people are saving to buy the latest iPhone. Um. People are saving just to have um, to like change it to dollars, just to have dollar savings. Um, there is so there is something I think for everybody, uh, and like there's like six different wallets on the app, and people utilize it based on their needs. Why do they need six right? different wallets? Um, How are they different? Um, so uh, it's really uh, like each wallet is kind of like a unique use case. And so, for instance, I I make use of for the most part two wallets out of the six. Right, because like, um, so there's the piggy bank itself, which is the one where you save for a stretch of 90 days before you can withdraw, right? So people who use that are usually like warehousing for a big event, like rent, school fees or something, right? And then there is a safe lock. Um, the safe lock feature is, it works like, like government treasury bills where you lock your funds for a particular period and interests are offered to you upfront and the capital comes at maturity. 
that's usually for people who just want to lock down funds for a specific period. Um, it might be that they don't want to spend it. It might be that they just want to earn interest on a particular amount. Then we have the um, target savings wallet, which is very flexible to save towards like particular events, I'm saving towards my birthday, I'm saving towards a vacation, I'm saving towards a new bag, I'm saving towards my Nike shoes. Um, and then you can set the frequency, daily, weekly, monthly, and you can do it alone or you can do it with a group. So that also improves like camaraderie. So you have a group of people who are saving towards the new year, for instance, or a group of people who are saving towards Easter vacation and things like How that. How does that one work, the then, community one? I'm really curious. Is it just me committing yeah. with my friends? We're all gonna save $5, but it's not pulling together into one. No, it's not pulling together into one. At the end of the saving period, each of you gets what you've saved. Um, but it just like keeps you all honest and on your toes so that you make sure that everyone is saving what they said they'll save. I don't know, of course. Um, and then we have something called the flex dollar, which is basically just people like converting some of their Naira into like US dollars and just saving it and earning some interest. That's the, the people who use that are more like business people I find use that because they're like buying things from like abroad and shipping in things and stuff like that. And then the last one is the flex Naira, which is basically just flexible Naira for people who are just casual savers. And so in between those six like um, different features, you find like one or two that work for you and then you create your own use case out of that. And so the platform, while being very disciplined, I think also it helps people be flexible with what they need from it. I never heard saving sound so fun. <laughs> <laughs> when I think about saving, I think just putting it into my savings account and not having like six different choices, which is so interesting. So yes, please come to the U.S. because this definitely sounds like a new uh, new market that's yet to penetrate even here. And a big part of the savings that I don't know if you mentioned is that they get the interest, right? Is that why they're incentivized or for them, it's just enough to have a space to save somewhere without earning interest. I think that like there's a, like a variation on why people do that. Some people do it for the interest and some people do love the interest, but we definitely have people who have the interest off and are just using the platform. Wow, that's interesting because why don't they just put it under the mattress? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think it's just really about the experience, right? Um, and also there's kind of some um, fear of missing out. People are constantly talking about it, thankfully. And so <laughs> everyone is trying to get on it, which is like really great. Um, and then some people are just using it so they can see their money like move around without physical cash because there's also security worries as well. Wow. And what's the business model for you guys? Uh, we, we operate an asset under management model. So um, we don't charge people for saving. Uh, but we do pull the funds and invest them in risk-free instruments, take a spread and pass on the rest to the users. Got it. Okay. That's pretty typical of any bank, right? Keeping, uh, using the deposits to then invest. And then on this product side, there sounds to be so much innovation. How does your product team run to come up with these ideas, enable these ideas, make sure they stay true to the users? Well, the fact that the roadmap is already user generated means that the end-to-end -end process, right? Um, first of all, we take feedback from our users very seriously and we take it by different channels, Twitter, Instagram, the app itself, email. There's constantly like feedback coming in. And so the, the more we hear about something, the more like we're like incentivized to look into it, right? Um, for instance, uh, I, I'll give you an example. In 2017, we'd been doing savings for about a year and a half. 
and users are to like ask us, so what next? You know, I've saved on your platform, I have a box, so now I have to move it out to invest, why? And so it became very clear to us that, okay, so you need to incorporate an element of micro-investment, right? And so we did. So if within the platform outside of those six, whatever the micro-investment side that functions like an investment marketplace, right? So that's kind of how we build out the platform. What do users want? Right. Sometimes we come up with ideas and we test them and see if like they work. Like the Flex Dollar was one of those. Um, but a lot of the time it is inbound from people asking, so when you speak investment launches, so when you speak investment launches, and those things we take very seriously. And because the um, roadmap is already like informed by these asks, it's very hard for the end to end not to be really just about the user and less about us or what we feel. One thing you didn't mention mention why there is such a cult following or love of this brand is because they feel heard when you incorporate these ideas from what they're tweeting what they're giving what they're asking and challenge you guys on instead of you know backing away from or pretending like you don't hear it you guys actually implement into the product so that's probably another reason why people love the experience because they feel like oh well they're building what i told them to build we we want to feel like they're like they're part we want them to feel like they're part of the building process Right, the app is primarily for the users. And so it's really important to us that they feel like we are intentional about listening to them and intentional about incorporating this feedback into the platform as we grow. Yeah, and so many companies, whether it's here in Silicon Valley or in emerging markets, always ask, you know, how do I innovate? How do I stay on top of things? Listen to your users, start there, because they can provide a ton of great areas of problems that need to be solved or they can be the ones that come up with the ideas. I always joke, you know, at our company, a lot of the times we look for latent demand. We look for how users are sort of hacking our current products to create another use case to then build on that. So for example, there's a company in Colombia called uh, Rapi and they're a delivery service, like the Postmates, they're a bit of everything now, but they first started off doing alcohol delivery. That was the initial idea of, and then one day, one of the co-founders was like, why don't we just put another box right under that that says other. When they opened that up, people were asking for deliveries of cookies, of money from an ATM. And that was what opened up their market when they gave, gave people the creative freedom to use the product as how they wanted to. That's very interesting. And I think, yeah, that actually sounds like it really like, you just like, if you find, I think if you find more ways to listen to your users, you just, you get ideas that you yourself couldn't have thought of and that are like great for the product. Last section question. We've talked a lot about where Piggy Vest came from, where it is today. What about the future? Five years from now, do you guys have a vision of what you want to be taking on that today just seems like so hard? Uh, well, I mean, the goal for us is to become like a digital financial warehouse um, where people manage their funds from. And we're working towards democratizing access to all financial services. So we started with savings, started with micro, uh, we've moved on to micro investments. And so we will be experimenting very soon with other aspects of financial services, um, insurance, um, you know, pensions, lending, probably. And just like the goal would be how can we break all of these services down in ways that our users find them accessible and welcoming, you know? Um, how do we help 
um, insurance companies, for instance, to stop collecting bulk sums and start collecting like the, these premiums monthly or weekly, you know, so that people uh, like in Nigeria, for instance, 99% of the country is completely uninsured, like no form of insurance. Wow. And I think that that's um, a big gap, right? And so the problem is usually like, again, we live in a low trust environment and we're building this community of people who we know, who we already know their habits. How can we help their habits translate into trust to these insurance companies and make sure that they kind of get access to these services? So that's what we will be looking to tackle. And I think it's a really big deal um, for Nigeria and essentially for the African continent really, because for the most part, um, pensions and all of these financial services that are not like um, savings and investment are largely ignored. That is so bold. I mean, when you say tackling the insurance base, that in itself is a such a complex vertical. And like you said, the fact that 99% of Nigerians don't have insurance, one, that's a huge space to play in, but two, a really complex space. And to hear your guys' aspirations toward that is really, really inspiring. So Odun, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. I. We'll probably speak for everyone that you've gotten folks so excited about Piggy Vest, but also the future of Nigeria to have founding teams like yours really set the vision to circle back that lack of infrastructure is a challenge and for you guys to come in to tackle that one problem by problem, because it's very easy to get overwhelmed by the lack instead of seeing it as opportunities. So thank you. Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Hey guys, you just heard from Odun, the co-founder of PiggyVest, one of the fastest growing fintech companies out of Africa. If she got you interested in the Nigerian startup ecosystem and you want to learn more, make sure to visit our episode on Nigeria's startup ecosystem with Kola Aina, who talks about other hot startups such as Paystack, which actually got acquired by Stripe late last year for $200 million. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and share this with share this episode with friends who are interested in the African startup ecosystem. Till next time.